You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our Judicial Watch weekly update. Thanks for joining us. It's a big victory week for the president, the Constitution, the rule of law, and you. The president's been acquitted. I'll talk about that. Plus, Judicial Watch study uncovers dirty voting rolls in Iowa. Big controversy. I'll give you the briefing there. And then on top of all of that, we have new Lisa Page, Peter Strzok emails that further confirm more corruption at the FBI. But first, the big and the great news is the president has finally been acquitted. This phase of the long national nightmare is over. The president has been resoundingly uh, vindicated by the Senate. Uh, No Republicans voted for the obstruction of justice canard put forward by the Schiff-Pelosi gang. And only one Republican voted to remove the president from office for the uh, outrageous idea that he did anything wrong uh, related to Ukraine. So uh, it's a big vindication for the president. Uh, It's a vindication for the rule of law. It's a vindication for the Constitution. And, of course, it means that you're able to govern yourselves still. The elections have not been overturned in 2016. The Senate declined Schiff's pressure to intervene in the 2020 elections. Uh, they, couldn't, they didn't have a case. So, unsurprisingly, it collapsed in the Senate when it met even the most basic tenets of the rule of law and process and due process. Uh, I didn't think the Senate trial was as fair to the president as it could have been and should have been, but it could have been a lot worse. And I want to give credit to the president's defense team for curtailing and uh, stopping Schiff from being able to uh, expand the Senate trial in a way that would further abuse the president of the United States. And uh, great credit also to Senator Mitch McConnell, the majority leader of the Republicans, who, you know, proverbially speaking, herded the cats and also protected the Senate and the Constitution. And again, your right to govern yourselves, your ability to uh, participate in self-government from being further abused by Adam Schiff and company. Now, it was a three-week trial, which was three weeks too long. There should never have been an impeachment and there should never have been a trial. But the coup has been stopped for now. And the president is right to feel vindicated. But you know what? We all should be outraged. So I'm, one of, I'm in one of these situations, and, I probably, and you probably share the president's issues here too, that it's great he's been vindicated, but he's angry and morally justified in being angry over the abuse he has suffered, the abuse his family has suffered, and the abuse this country has suffered as a result by this the most radical abuse of power by the House of Representatives uh, since forever. He uh, is uh, in a position now, I would hope, to pursue justice against those who violated the law, abused their offices, uh, both within his administration and in Congress. And I think that's the way he should be thinking about it. Uh, I was uh, honored to attend the White House uh, celebration of the president's acquittal. He had that big event this week in the East Room of the White House. And so you go over there, I see a lot of uh, friends from the movement, people who have been supporting the president uh, against this attack on him and the rule of law. 
You had uh, these members of Congress and the House and the Senate who have tried to and 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 have really put their necks out in many cases defending the president. Uh, the president's defense team was there. Uh, his cabinet was there and senior staff was there. And it's a smallish room. It may, may look big on TV, but you're really packed in. And the president was uh, excited. He was angry. Uh, he was upset. And he spoke from the heart about the abuse he suffered and the idea that no other president should suffer this again. And I would suggest the way to make that happen is to, be ensure, to ensure that there's accountability for the abuse he suffered. Uh, you had the, the criminal activity in terms of the illegal spying targeting him during uh, the Obama administration and frankly into his administration. You had the abusive Mueller operation uh, that abused and harassed him even though they knew there was no lawful basis to really pursue anything against him since there was, quote, no Russia collusion. They knew that from the get-go. Yet the Justice Department just a few weeks ago disavowed two of the spy warrants used to target him. It was Carter Page specifically, but it was all about President Trump. So they're disavowing spy, spy warrants, saying they had no basis, further confirming the criminal nature of the spy activity. And then you have Adam Schiff, it looks like, collude with the leaker to try to undermine and destroy President Trump through the, shame, through the sham impeachment process. And in doing so, he violated the president's civil rights. He violated the civil rights of other Americans. He uh, abused the powers Congress is entrusted by the Constitution and the American people to harass innocent Americans. Tried to remove the president for lawfully defending himself in court. Tried to remove the president for doing his job as president in terms of ferreting out corruption. Abused his office. I'm talking about Schiff and Pelosi now. Abused their offices to try to protect a political ally, Joe Biden, from being investigated. Abused their offices trying to protect the Clinton and Obama gangs from being investigated and prosecuted for the spying I've talked to you about. That's what this is about. It was as much about self-protection and obstruction of justice as it was about removing President Trump from office. And of course, the Democrats, I know there was a big fight about witnesses and whether they're going to get witnesses or not. Look, if they got the witnesses, they were happy. But if they didn't get the witnesses, they were still happy because they still had the abusive trial. Every minute of every day, the Democrats were in the Senate abusing, smearing, and harassing the President of the United States. They were happy to be there. Every minute they were happy to be there. And if they could talk senselessly about uh, witnesses that were really not witnesses, and they lost, they lost. They didn't care. At least they got to talk and make the president, uh, ensure the president would be further distracted, undermine the Senate further. Just outrageous abuse of powers in ways, you know, it's one thing to target the president, but then they were targeting the Senate. They were targeting the voters, targeting innocents on the outside. Boy, shifts, shifts. The, the violations by the Pelosi Schiff Kukabal are legion in terms of both uh, the abuses and the targets. And uh, don't you think they're going to stop? The coup will continue. This phase of the coup is over. It's a big victory. I mean, politically, it's probably harder for them to further harass the president, but they don't care. 
they're going to keep on doing it. The media won't hold them accountable. Laws, uh, my guess is the Justice Department still isn't going to do anything significant about the illegal activity that may have involved Adam Schiff, for instance, and the leak of classified information about the phone call to Schiff and his staff. What did Schiff know? When did he know it? What did his staff know? When did they know it? So what, what's, what's next? There's got to be accountability for the kookaball. And I don't know what the president is going to do specifically. Uh, today, for instance, or this week, it's being announced uh, he's moving Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, or at least someone is in a responsible uh, position, out of the White House finally. Vindman, of course, is implicated in the leaks, was attacking the president in uniform, not on ethical grounds, but on policy grounds. Wildly inappropriate behavior by an officer, in my view. And certainly given his obvious dislike for the president's policies, why was he allowed to remain in the White House? Well, I kind of know, because this is what happens. You make a fake accusation against the president, and you're a government bureaucrat, and rather than what should have happened is that there would be an investigation about the conspiracy targeting the president, abusing powers and abusing their positions, everything's frozen because, quote, he's a witness and holding him accountable is obstruction. Well, now that game's over. And so Vindman, thankfully, looks like he's on his way out. The president retweeted uh, three of my tweets about Vindman today, which were very critical. One was he shouldn't be anywhere near foreign policy decision making. Uh, he gotta, he's got to be kicked out. And we got to protect our national security and foreign policy from his machinations. And uh, this tweet was, uh, another tweet is, he was offered the Ukraine defense minister job three times. Now, he says he just, you know, he didn't want to, uh, he obviously wasn't going to take it. But isn't that weird? Isn't that odd? Frankly, the Defense Department should have just taken him out as soon as his name popped out or popped up. And, of course, he's probably an integral, uh, an integral part of the conspiracy against the president. This is what ought to happen. The president should tell the Justice Department or appoint a special counsel directly to investigate the leak of the classified phone call he had with Ukraine. Now, I know it's declassified now, but it wasn't declassified at the time it was being shared internally in the White House. Did anyone with access to that call improperly share it? Now, just because they had classified uh, or they had security clearance, it doesn't mean that they had the right to share the call or use it for improper purposes. When you have access to classified information, it's on a need-to-know basis, and you're not supposed to be sharing and sending the classified information and discussing its contents for improper political purposes. And I think there's strong evidence that's exactly what was going on here. Justice Department should have immediately investigated that. Instead, the president got impeached because of the failures to enforce the rule of law. And don't, it's, I'm ta not talking about protecting the president politically. I'm talking about protecting the presidency and our national security. You had these Bolton book leaks. It turns out the National Security Council, which is charged with making sure 
that Bolton doesn't publish anything that's classified, looked at the book and found gobs of classified information, including top-level secret information that's classified. So now we know that book is leaked somehow. There is, you've got to presume classified information was improperly shared. Maybe in a criminal way. And as soon as that happened, there should have been a Department of Justice investigation. Raids and whatnot to secure documents and secure information. So there should be criminal investigations into the seditious conspiracy against the president. Yes. Now, Judicial Watch already is doing the heavy lifting. We have a document, uh, we have a lawsuit against Schiff over his obtaining and publishing the confidential private phone records of the president's lawyers. Devin Nunes, John Solomon, a reporter. Unbelievable abuse. We're suing on Burisma, Biden. I think we've got three lawsuits on the Biden scandals. And of course, we have lawsuits on the so-called whistleblower, trying to get details about what he was up to. So this is what needs to be done. There's got to be accountability. And I don't know if the Justice Department's going to do it. My guess is the president's going to probably take more direct action. It's pretty clear he doesn't trust Vindman and he wants him out, which is exactly appropriate. The president runs the executive branch. And so much of the attacks on the president have been about trying to prevent him from being president and suggesting that the powers granted to the president of the Constitution, the President Trump is not allowed to use. He's not allowed to fire FBI directors. He's not allowed to recall ambassadors. He's not allowed to talk to foreign leaders. He's not allowed to assure that American tax dollars are not being used for corrupt purposes. He's not allowed to investigate corruption and make sure the laws against corruption are being enforced and investigated. He's not allowed to do all the things every other president is able to do under the Constitution. And he's supposed to lay down supine in the face of congressional abuse and tyranny. You know, people say uh, often in judicial, why are you so concerned about this? Because there's never been a corruption scandal like this in American history. The spying and the targeting by multiple government agencies of the Obama administration. And yes, I hold the president, Obama, responsible for that. Both practically speaking and generally speaking. Meaning it's not just the buck stops here and he's generally responsible. No, he was in on it. Testimony and the documents show he was in on it. And then it just continued through the Trump administration by appointed and self-appointed paragons of virtue in the bureaucracy who thought they knew better than the President of the United States. And, and, and if it needed to be, they could break laws to try to take him out. They could leak stuff to try to take him out. They could leak things targeting his family, leak things targeting General Flynn, including classified information. The President's not only a crime victim, his family members are crime victims. I'm convinced General Flynn's a crime victim. And yeah, 
Even Paul Manafort potentially is a crime victim. I go on a transparency tear as well. Of course, Judicial Watch has the document requests and under FOIA, but the president should just begin releasing everything he can to expose what went on. He should go on a pardon tear as well. Pardon everyone caught up in the Mueller investigation, for instance. There's got to be accountability here. And he needs to demand that the Justice Department, and if the Justice Department won't do it, he should appoint a special counsel directly. The Justice Department is not the end-all and be-all. The president is ultimately responsible here. We elect him. And if his agency isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing or is unable to, I mean, I personally think President, excuse me, Attorney General Barr is a, light, a lot like President Trump in the sense he wants to do the right thing. He's only got a handful of people there at the Justice Department, which is a locus of evil when it comes to deep state conspiracies and abuses of power. So he's got a million things on his plate, and I don't know if he'll get to the key things that he needs to be uh, doing in terms of prosecuting all the folks that we were talking about. So maybe the president, and I suggest the president, directly appoint a special counsel. Don't ask Attorney General Barr to do it. The special counsel should report to the president of the United States to investigate the outstanding crimes that have yet to be fully investigated, at least evidently, by the Justice Department, and to reopen the investigations into the Clinton crimes, especially related to email. I got an agenda, transparency, accountability, and enforcing the rule of law. And the Democrats are done in terms of having any credibility in attacking the rule of law here. Like I said, they're not going to stop. You saw the Nancy Pelosi becoming unhinged this week. I mean, you can see that she's got a personality issue with the president that goes beyond anything the president has done. She hates him which you know, I guess is her right, but she can't let that hate get in the way of the operations of her office. And I tell you, and I'm, you know, many of you have been watching politics for some time, have you ever seen anything as astonishing as Nancy Pelosi ripping up, ripping up during the State of the Union, or at least the end of the address, the President's State of the Union address? It was astonishing. I, I, still, I still can't believe she did it. I don't think I've ever seen something as disturbing in terms of a public act by a politician as her ripping up that speech. And Matt Gates and Congressman, um, I think Congressman Mike Rogers is his name, he's a former Attorney General in Louisiana, have made credible cases that she may have even broken the law in doing so because it was a, an official congressional or federal record and she wasn't allowed to rip it up and destroy it. Certainly it was an ethical transgression. There's a basic rule of the House ethics. To a degree they even enforce ethics in the House anymore. And the rule is you must act in a way that reflects credibly in the House. And when you don't, you're in violation of the ethics rules.
basic rule. Do you think that Nancy Pelosi acted in a way that reflects credibly on the House of Representatives? I don't. We may, I don't know if we're going to file an ethics complaint on it or not. We already have ethics complaints pending on Adam Schiff, two of them. We have an ethics, two ethics complaints pending on Ilhan Omar. The House is in an ethics crisis, in my view. They've got this corruption by the leadership and key members that is going unaddressed, at least ethically, within the House of Representatives. And so why else would they want, again, another reason to try to impeach the president improperly, distract from your own corruption. So I guess, you know, I'm supposed to be happy the president was acquitted. You know what, I'm still pretty angry he had to go through this. What, what, a, what a waste of tax dollars. And it undermines our national security, the president's ability to conduct foreign relations. If you're a foreign leader and you call the president on the phone, what's going to be in the back of your head? Who's listening in? What are they writing down? And if it becomes public, what will be the consequences? It impairs the ability of the president to conduct foreign relations. It hurts our national security. I mean, the obscenity of the Senate voting on removing the president of the United States on the eve of presidential primaries, it's just insane that it was even allowed to happen. There was no crime. There was no near crime. There was no misconduct. There was no evidence that the president did anything wrong. Yet they were able to push this impeachment forward. And the Senate gave them the time of day. Let me just say something about Mitt Romney. He says he did it for the right reasons in trying to remove a sitting president, having the Senate intervene in an election year over that Ukraine call. I tell you, let me, if I were talking to Mitt Romney, and maybe I should call him and tell him this, but if you're in Utah, I suggest you call and tell him this. He doesn't understand what happened to him in 2012. Now, I know there are always many reasons one loses an election, but we do know one of the reasons Romney lost the election was because the Tea Party movement was suppressed as a result of the abuse of the IRS, the FBI, the Justice Department, and other agencies of the federal government to target the Tea Party and other Republican-oriented or conservative groups and keep them out of the presidential campaign. Remember, the Tea Party emerged in 2010, was a significant force, and helped change the House control or, or uh, congressional control in 2010. And in 2012, they largely disappeared. And everyone said, well, what happened to them? Well, we found out what had happened to them was the IRS came down on them like a ton of bricks under Barack Obama and pressure from the Democrats in the House and the Senate. We've got the documents. Judicial Watch exposed it all. And, um, and that's how you steal an election in plain sight. So it didn't take many votes. I forget the number of votes nationally that could have changed the outcome of the election. Uh, presidential elections in this day and age are pretty close-worn things. It doesn't take a lot to change the outcome of an election. And certainly if the Tea Party was more active, there's a strong argument 
that Mitt Romney would have been president of the United States and defeated Barack Obama. And yet he lost because of this Obama-Clinton, Obama-gang corruption in terms of uh, uh, abusing the IRS to target Obama's political opposition to ensure an election result. That's stealing an election in plain sight. And so it happened in 2000, so they knew, they, hey, it worked in 2012. So they thought to themselves, I suspect, let's try it again in 2016. We got this Donald Trump. We hate him. We've got Hillary Clinton. We know she's an ethics mess. Oh, and looks like she committed crimes. So we're going to have to cover that up. What do we do? Let's spy on him secretly. And let's leak that we're spying on him and accuse him of being a Russia agent. Let's see if that affects the election. Oh, we lost. Well, let's keep on pushing on him. Let's undermine him. Let's try to undo the election. With the Mueller operation and the Russia smears and the continued spying on him. Oh, he's doing well. He's, well, he's still surviving. Let's double down and collude with the deep state to come up with this Ukraine garbage to try to take him out just before the 2020 elections or stain his reputation in such a way that it potentially loses. That's a long way of saying is Romney was the first victim and he doesn't even know he was a victim of the same gang that is using him to try to remove the president from office. Incredible, incredible stuff. So, you know, I've been calling on you to call your senators to let them know what you think about the impeachment, what should be done. Call your members of the House. I've called on you to do that repeatedly. You need to do it again. You need to call your senators and tell them what you think about their votes on the president's impeachment. You can thank or, or, or criticize them. Call them. Call your House members. Tell them to hold the line on the rule of law and to stop the abusive attacks on, the rule of, on, on our constitutional system. You can never stop being active because it's not the threat to our republic won't go away. Judicial Watch is in court trying to expose the truth behind it now. You need to support our work, obviously, directly, and you also need to be personally active. So we won the battle, but the war continues. Uh, so, we had a little bit of a controversy this week when we made the mistake of telling the truth about Iowa's voting rolls. And I'll tell you the background of what happened. So, um, it's over the weekend, and I'm thinking, I wonder, because uh, we had issued a study last year, excuse me, our, we, we had done a study last year that we reported on in January, and it's the best available data generally, so we look at uh, data sent to the Election Assistance Commission, which is a federal agency. They're certified by the Secretaries of State, and they send voter registration and other data to the Election Assistance Commission. And it, it's the best available data at the time. It's released by the Election Assistance Commission in uh, the summer of 2000, you know, basically the summer every other year, in this case, 2019. And uh, so we looked at that data and compared it to census data, contemporaneous, census data that's contemporaneous with the 
voter registration data, and we found that there are uh, nearly 350 counties in, across the country with more people on the rolls than eligible to vote, and as many as 2.5 million extra names. And based on that study, we sent warning letters uh, late last year to five different states, 19 counties, North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Colorado, North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Colorado, North Carolina, and there's a fifth state I'm not remembering. Oh, California. How can I forget? And we've previously, using this analytical approach, had great success in court in terms of convincing states to either agree to a consent decree in the case of Kentucky, settle the case in the case of Los Angeles County, to remove, at least in those two states, nearly two million names from the rolls. Ultimately, two million name extra, extra, active, uh, extra names from the rolls. People who are on the rolls, who have likely moved away, or otherwise ineligible to vote, who shouldn't be on the rolls anymore. With the theory being, federal law requires you to take reasonable steps to clean off the rolls. And if you got more people on the rolls than are living there and eligible to vote, that's a pretty good indication you're not taking the steps necessary. And it's usually a good basis for us to start asking questions and finding out and confirming they're not doing their job. So over the weekend, I'm thinking, well, what about Iowa? What did our study show there? And it turns out our study showed there were eight counties over 100% of the rolls. Eight counties. Only 18,000 names, but that's a lot of names for Iowa. And uh, so the blowback was outrageous. There's a Secretary of State, Secretary Payton, Iowa, Republican, who falsely accused this of putting out this information. And what was the basis for that? They said, he, we used old data. He said, you should use new census data and unconfirmed dot data we put that I, he doesn't certify and won't be finalized in terms of what the actual numbers are at least for federal government purposes, until next year, he, should, he says that shows a different result. Well, even using his new data, you know what his new data shows? Five counties over 100% of the voting rolls. Nearly three dozen counties over 95%. Why is that number important? Let me tell you this. Frankly, any registration rate in a, pop, in a county the registration rates tend to be 80% or lower. 80% is like on a really high-end range. 75% is probably a fairer number. So when you're at 95% and above, warning lights go off. When you're at 100% and above, the whistles go off. And so on the basis of, this, basis of this misinformation, they attacked us. The media falsely accused us of putting out false information, even though our information is the best available information out there, which is consistent with new information, which frank, frankly isn't as reliable. Washington Post was particularly dishonest because they said to, uh, the initial headline was Judicial Watch puts out false claims of voter fraud. And we did nothing of the sort. We didn't allege voter fraud. Obviously, if you have dirty voting rolls, it may encourage voter fraud or may result in voter fraud, but we didn't allege any voter fraud. And I pushed back on the Washington Post. I sent an email. There's a story 
Uh, maybe we can link it at real clear investigations or real clear politics by Mark Hemingway that describes what went on. I pushed back on the Washington Post. I said, you need to correct your headline. It's false. We did not allege voter fraud. And they wrote back saying, while accusing, saying they're dirty election rolls is the same thing as saying voter fraud. I mean, it's Orwellian what the liberals in the media are willing to do and say to justify their lies about a group they don't like, which is Judicial Watch. And all of the, and the reaction to our information about Iowa is just, it shows you how important our work is because we're the only ones defending the rule of law on this, practically speaking. No one else is doing this. No one else is out there cleaning the rolls the way we are, going to court to try to get the rolls clean, exposing what's going on. And the left accuses us of being partisan. We're in a battle with the Iowa Secretary of State, who's a Republican. Kentucky is largely run by Republicans. They had to clean up their rolls. Our cases against Ohio and Indiana, Republican-controlled states largely. And we've been victimized by media lies, lies by a government official who helped convince Facebook to suppress a post we had put up. And Instagram too, because Facebook is, uh, owns Instagram. We're trying to figure out how to undo that suppression. But what a, what, a, what, a, uh, what a dangerous situation in terms of our First Amendment. We have a government official, an elected official in Iowa, I think he's elected, Secretary of State, putting out misinformation and big tech companies succumbing to a pressure campaign from dishonest media using this government official as a backstop suppress our information. You worry it's not big tech censorship you should worry about. It's the big tech censorship that happens as a result of alliances and pressure from government officials. Adam Schiff, for instance, has pressured big tech to suppress the name of the alleged whistleblower. If I mention his name, Facebook will take our video down. YouTube will take our video down, even though this alleged whistleblower is a senior official at the CIA on Ukraine who was assigned to both the Obama White House and the Trump White House. And big tech has caved to Adam Schiff's pretend theory that he's, quote, a whistleblower and his name can't be disclosed. We can know everyone else involved, but not this whistleblower. The same goes for these election roll issues. We've had our material upheld in four different courts. The theory of our case vindicated by a Supreme Court case, and we're having the media telling us we don't know what we're doing. It's frustrating, but you can help. How can you help? You can spread the word about our information. You can't spread it on Facebook as it's currently written because they won't allow you to. But I encourage you to look at the information. We have two press releases out. We have the statement, we have the initial disclosure about the eight counties that according to our study had at least 18,000 extra names. I mean, their defense is, we go to Iowa, our data shows you got extra names. Your data's old. And we go, your data, your new data shows that you got extra names. Iowa, well, our dirty names you can't count 
as dirty or, or um, excuse me, Iowa's response was even worse. Our lists are clean if you exclude the dirty names. They're suggesting inactive names shouldn't be counted, when in fact inactive voters are the same as regular voters. They can vote on election day. Their theory is voters who haven't been around should be treated differently than voters who are active. And that's not true under law. And frankly, it's damaging and potentially suppressing to people's right to vote. Because you hear that, you might think, well, I haven't voted in a long time. I'm out. You're not out. Go and vote. Don't listen to the government bureaucrats trying to defend their dirty roles by suggesting your name is no longer good on the rolls, even if you live there, because it's inactive. It's government bureaucrats, government officials, and the dishonest left trying to protect themselves from having to clean up the rolls. Why do they hate discussion of dirty rolling rolls? Because in Iowa, for instance, they have voter ID, which is a significant way to mitigate the threat of voter fraud caused by dirty voting rolls. Because if you go and show up to vote, Let's say you know someone's moved away, you get wind they've got a, they're still registered to vote because you're getting mailings or you just guess right, and you go to vote in their name, it's difficult to do if you need an ID to do it. In California, where they have millions of names that we had found extra on the rolls, you can go to California, they don't ask you for voter ID. Pennsylvania, they don't ask you for voter ID. North Carolina, there's no voter ID there, thanks to the Obama gang and leftist groups down there that work with an activist court to shut it down. Most of the big states don't have voter ID. That's why they hate discussions by Judicial Watch exposing the dirty voting rolls. We're winning in court. They're lying. Whose side are you on? So there's more information coming out. People are wondering, I'm sure, what's going on in New Hampshire? Are the rolls of New Hampshire dirty? We don't know. Why don't we know? Because they don't report data the way other jurisdictions do. They report data, my understanding is, by township. And other jurisdictions report voter registration data by county. And so there's no real census equivalent to figure out if they've got too, more than eight, too many names by township in New Hampshire on the rolls than people living there because census doesn't really track data by township in New Hampshire. So it's a bit of a mystery as to how dirty or clean the voter rolls in New Hampshire are. So I'd like to give you information about how clean or dirty the voting rolls in New Hampshire are, but I can't. So on top of all it, I can't let it go as we go to uh, uh, video today, unless something happened, I can't. I I haven't been able to track it completely because it's obviously uh, the caucuses have collapsed in Iowa. I don't think the dirty voting rolls had anything to do with it, and I don't know if corruption had anything to do with it. But we don't know who won in Iowa. We don't know who won in Iowa. Something bad happened though. And if I were the state law enforcement officials in Iowa, the top state law enforcement officers. I would be, you know, talk about raiding. I mean, look, Paul Manafort had his home raided so the FBI could take pictures of his suits, literally, suits, his clothing. 
yet you have an entire caucus in a key state, Iowa. It's a small state, but it's a key state because it's the first in the nation. No law enforcement action. I'm surprised no candidate has called for law enforcement action. So we don't know who won. Was it Buttigieg? Was it Sanders? I don't know. And even if someone, quote, won, can we be confident in the result? I mean, you think elections are fair and accurate in this country? Generally, we know the general winner of an election. But in some cases, we can't be sure. And that's the case in the Iowa caucuses. So who knows? I mean, you had that Des Moines Register poll suppressed on the eve of the election and people in the opposite campaigns. And this is not, I'm, I, you know, I don't, I, I'm not much of a political guy. I'm not much of a political guy. I run Judicial Watch. I don't endorse candidates. I save the politics for the, the guys in politics, you know, in terms of campaign work and things like that. So I, I kind of watch it the way an ordinary citizen does. But I tell you what, if I were a Bernie Sanders voter, I'd be pretty annoyed right now. Remember I told you that the deep state has it in for Bernie Sanders, or we should presume the deep state has it in for Bernie Sanders? It doesn't mean I'm endorsing Bernie Sanders, or I think the deep state uh, or that Bernie Sanders' policies are great. I'm suggesting as a candidate that is problematic for the deep state and the establishment class trying to remove President Trump from office, they have it in for him. So they have a poll that potentially shows Sanders winning and Biden significantly losing. And they suppress that on the eve of the election. And they have a caucus that collapses that allows Buttigieg to say without foundation that he, quote, won, when in fact it's not clear who won. Denying uh, Bernie Sanders any semblance of a, a victory bump out of Iowa as he goes into New Hampshire. Very troubling. Very troubling. I've always said the left is willing to steal elections when necessary. And you think it means they're going to steal it from Republicans. No, it means in primaries, upstarts, people challenging the incumbencies or the incumbent politicians. Voter fraud affects Democratic primaries in significant ways. And I don't know if that's the case here in Iowa, but given the way things have been going, I can't, you can't be confident that things were done right and it's all just as a result of incompetence by the Hillary Clinton gang that was running the app that collapsed. I, you know, who knows what was going on? But anyone who rules it out, that's not fair to do. Anyone who rules it in completely, that's not fair to do. That's why I say there needs to be an investigation. Um, so from election integrity to FBI integrity, and it's a sad state. We've got more documents from the page struck documents that we've been getting intermittently from the FBI and the Justice Department. Remember, they have thousands of documents. They were releasing them to us over five, only 500 pages. Well, this is, you know, forget about everything else. 
what was in the documents. I want to remind you about the outrageous way the FBI and Justice Department are handling these documents. They got 13,000 documents and they're telling us they can only process 500 documents a month, which would, I haven't done the calculations recently, but essentially push out the final release of documents till after the year, till late 2021. So we'll be fighting about these documents in the next administration, even though the number of documents is so small that they could have been released months ago. Why slow roll the release of records? Because they know what's in them. They know that when you've got Lisa Page and Peter Strzok communicating, you've got problems given the corruption they were involved in, in the Hillary Clinton email investigation, the wiring of that, and of course the insurance policy that was the Russiagate investigation. What's really interesting about these documents is that they confirm this shows you how corrupt the FBI investigation, Justice Department investigation were into, was into Hillary Clinton. Strzok and Page were unhappy with the way it was being run. They weren't sociopaths. They had the basics down as to what needs to be done. They saw the general counsel and top lawyers for the FBI and Justice Department kowtowing to the Clinton gang lawyers. And they were furious about it. Let me get to, I, I, just, I need to skip forward here. In exchange, in a, in, in, uh, in a 2016 email exchange in July, this is after Clinton got off, struck in his boss, Bill Priestep, who has been provided testimony under oath in writing to Judicial Watch, are critical of how deferential the DOJ was being to Clinton's legal team. In the exchange, an associate at the law firm representing Clinton's aides asked DOJ officials in the National Security Division if they could schedule a meeting the following week. And I identified NSD official, National Security Division officials writes, it is my understanding that Deputy Assistant Attorney General George Toskis may have called over the gym, presumably FBI Director Jim Baker, and Tricia, who was the FBI Office General Counsel lawyer, Tricia Anderson, regarding some high-level participation for at least the first few such calls. Why on earth would they have to participate? You are perfectly competent to speak to the legal obligations and FBI policy procedures. We should not be treating opposing counsel this way. We would not in any other case. That's struck. That's struck complaining about them allowing, bringing in top level FBI officials who have no business being participating in these calls to kowtow to the Clinton gang warriors. And we've had other documents that have shown that. We have other documents that show here that the Justice Department was editing 302s. What are 302s? Those are the narrative reports created by FBI agents of interviews. Infamously, there was an edit argument over an, a particular issue um, with the Flynn 302. Remember that? Where the 302 wasn't finalized or had been edited significantly? months after the initial interview took place, which suggested that Flynn actually hadn't lied. DOJ is editing, editing 302s. 
which is highly unusual in my view. What else is here? Oh, Strzok and Page were involved in the opening of Crossfire Hurricane, the anti-Trump spy operation. Turns out that was conducted illegally. Now, the IG had suggested that they were involved in opening it somehow. These documents confirm that in further details. They're writing up the document. There's this electronic communication that was written up to uh, justify the spy operation against the Trump campaign. It's called an electronic communication. The documents detail that Page and Strzok were involved in running it or writing the material. Now, outrageously, we've yet to see that electronic communication. The most significant spy operation in American history, we don't know how it was open. And even more troublingly, the IG says they could find, quote, no evidence it was open for nefarious purposes or improper purposes or there was anything improper in opening it. Uh, even though the Attorney General of the United States and John Durham, the U.S. Attorney from Connecticut who's allegedly investigating this, has suggested that the, IG, the, um, a, uh, the IG's con uh, conclusion was wrong there. Well, if there's that dispute, why isn't this document being released? We've sued for it. We've asked for it. We can't get it. This is another example of the president's uh, need to intervene to release basic information about the outrageous spy abuses against him. Anything involving Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, especially on Russiagate, given their emails about having insurance policies and knowing there was never anything there, they all knew there was never anything there. This was all concocted. That's what the evidence shows. There was no good faith-based reason to open up a spy operation against a candidate for president of the United States. Just think of the bar of credibility in, in common sense terms you would have to meet in, as an, any, any competent official to justify doing that. Do you think they had that? Of course they didn't. I don't care what the IG says. The IG says, we found they dotted every I and crossed every T, so therefore they can do that. You know, there's a famous, uh, it's not famous, but there's an old cartoon that I've always liked, and there's a clown that's walking around town, evidently, in the cartoon with a giant mallet bashing people on the head, and they're all lying around in the street, and the cop is looking at a document, and he says, well, my gosh, he does have a license to do that. That's the IG's approach to Russiagate. They got all the documents right, so therefore nothing bad happened, despite all the evidence something bad happened. That's both direct and circumstantial. And so we've got documents showing Lisa Page and Peter Strzok's direct involvement in the opening of the most dangerous counterintelligence investigation in American history in terms of its threat to our constitutional republic which in my view is ongoing. Oh, what else is interesting here is a curious email about Seth Rich. Now, Seth Rich was a DNC staffer who was murdered here in Washington, D.C., and the murder remains unsolved. Now, there are those who question how and why he was murdered and what happened there, and you can just imagine there are people who have alleged he was involved in the WikiLeaks leaks or the DNC hacking. I don't know if any of that's true. I do know that when a political person like Seth Rich is murdered, politics intervenes in the investigation of his death. So we've tried to find some, do some FOIA work there. We haven't gotten anywhere because death investigation 
is still open. But the FBI, I think, had told us they had no documents. Well, lo and behold, out of this Peter's page, uh, uh, Lisa Page, Peter Strzok document, there's references to Seth Rich. Let's see what it says here. There is a um, FB, there's a media inquiry about um, so an official whose name they redact writes, various news outlets are reporting today that Julian Assange suggested during a recent overseas interview that DNC staffer Seth Rich was a WikiLeaks source and may have been killed because he leaked the DNC emails to his organization and that WikiLeaks is offering $20,000 for information regarding Seth uh, Rich's death last month. Based on this news, we anticipate additional press coverage on this matter. I hear that you are in class today. However, when you have a moment, can you please give me a call to discuss what involvement the Bureau has in the investigation. Uh, a Washington field office agent responds, I'm aware of this reporting from earlier this week, but not any specific involvement in any related case. I don't know what that means. I, I, I'm reading it to mean we're not involved, but it, it reads oddly. Um, so if I had received that email, I would have written back, what do you mean? Is it yes or no? An identified agent then writes to uh, both um, uh, Maffa, who is an uh, FBI guy, and um, uh, Strzok, just FYSA for your situational awareness. I squashed this with redacted, so there's a blank. Strzok then forwards that email chain to the page. So that's curious. You know, it looks like they squashed it maybe uh, with a um, media outlet. I don't know. But they're talking about Rich here. They suggest that the FBI isn't doing much, if anything, on it. But they squashed uh, an inquiry, which is a substantial issue. I mean, Assange, you know, I don't know whether he was telling the truth there, but, you know, certainly that would be enough if, you know, it would have been enough for the FBI to investigate Donald Trump, but not enough for the FBI to launch an investigation into the Seth Rich murder. That's what that shows. Isn't it curious what they decide to investigate and what basis they base that decision on? Trump, they got garbage rumors. They start spying on him and other innocent Americans, targeting Manafort, targeting General Flynn. Here you've got someone publicly suggesting that Rich was murdered for somehow being involved in the DNC leaks, and the FBI, their response is, how do we quash that? Meaning we're not doing anything. And that's the most charitable reading of this. So that's interesting. Don't you love Judicial Watch? Because I'm reading this, and I'm just fascinated by it. Aren't you fascinated by it? It raises questions about substantial issues, these documents, that uh, the general media has zero interest in pursuing. Our government agencies don't want to talk about. Congress doesn't want to do anything about it. And we're just doing our due diligence, getting basic information out, and finding really startling information about matters of national importance. And we do this thanks to your support. We are a, um, we have millions of followers on social media, I know that. But we also have hundreds of thousands of people 
who write us checks, write, give us money, donate online. We're one of the most widely supported conservative organizations, government watchdog groups in the country. We are probably the biggest watchdog group in the world. We're not just a group, we're a movement. And I encourage you to join our movement, support Judicial Watch, and at least learn about what we're doing, share our educational materials. Our goal is to educate you, the American public, about what your government's up to, because they're not going to do it voluntarily. The media isn't going to do it. You can trust Judicial Watch. I want you to have a wonderful week, and I'll see you next time here on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.